This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Casey Cheshire. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs' Organization, this is Leadership in Action. There it is. We are recording. I'm excited. This conversation, I am talking to a powerhouse here in the entrepreneurial community. My guest today is an entrepreneur, a leader, a speaker, a mentor, a trainer to the stars, uh, very much a strategist and an expert on SEO and content marketing and customer acquisition strategies. Can't wait to dive into all sorts of aspects around getting more customers. Who couldn't benefit from that? I know I could. He is constantly speaking, uh, sometimes as often as one or two events a week, uh, often about the topics of marketing to humans. He is very much an authority on topics like AI and digital marketing, again, SEO, mentor to startups, creator of Fire and Spark, e-commerce marketing summit, founder and president of Fire and Spark, Dale Bertrand. Welcome to the show, sir. Well, Casey, well, thank you for having me. And thanks for the generous introduction. That, That was fun. I had trouble, man. That That's the edited intro. Uh, your intro went on two pages and there's so much to say about you. There's, there's so much you've been up to. I can't wait to dive into this. So let me pass the baton back to you and say, first and foremost, what is a common misconception around leadership or being an entrepreneur or even running a business? Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that's a huge question. Um, one thing I've been thinking about a lot is like I'm a digital marketing consultant. So people come to me and they want to know what is the tactic? I had a conversation yesterday with somebody who wants to know, like, what is that one tactic that we need in order to succeed at Facebook ads and Google ads? And then I focus on mostly um, search engine optimization, so SEO. So I have so many conversations with people who just want to know what is that one tactic that is working right now that I should do? And the problem is there probably isn't a one tactic that would work for you um, in your environment, like your resources, um, basically like the the audience that you're going after on the channel of your choice. Uh, it, it probably doesn't exist. So a, a lot of what I have to do is just have a higher level conversation uh, about people's marketing and why do they think digital marketing even makes sense to them and what is the right step for next step for them. Right, right. What, no silver bullet, right? No magical fix, no Jack's bean you can plant and grow. Why do people think this? I think it's because it, like digital marketing is intimidating. Okay. So yeah. especially for people who haven't done it before and um, they know that they have competitors who are kicking ass um, on digital, like maybe in social or Facebook ads or SEO or something like that. So they want to know, well, what do they know that I don't know, Dale? Just, just tell me, Dale, tell me. Um, and oftentimes it just doesn't exist. Yeah, it's hard copying other people, right? You, you look over at them and you don't know what things they've tried. You also don't know if what they're doing is working. <laughs> you, yeah. know, you can look at some digital ads. You can look at some kind of tactic they're using. It may not be this silver bullet. It may be losing them 20 grand a day. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we like to look at competitors. Yeah. We like to look at their digital campaigns to, under, to try to understand, you know, what they're doing, what's working. Um, but the truth is more easy, like you're saying, we can see what they're doing, but yeah. we don't know what's really driving their business. And, and what they're doing might not make any sense for the, the client that I'm working with. Right. And it could be good for them, but it may not be your strategy. It may not fit the culture, the style, the customer you're going. There's so many factors. So if, if not the silver bullet, if not the one, the one source of leads to rule them all, what, what is the answer then? if it's not that? So the answer is, so nobody wants to hear this. The answer is it depends. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it really depends on the situation that you're in. I mean, we, we talk to people who are, maybe you're a, a venture back startup or a bootstrap startup, and you've got you've got a vision for a product or a service that you want to get out into the world, and then maybe you've even built it and you've got that product out there, but you don't know how you're going to market it. So for that, you know, we're looking at a, a go-to-market strategy, and we need to understand like who is the right audience for this product, um, what are they interested in, and we and for digital marketing, we always want to get involved in conversations that are already raging online. So we need to make that intersection between, you know, what are the, the strengths or what's the value proposition with like your product or service, what um, audience are you going after and what, what should be the, the tip of the spear kind of messaging to get them in the door. 
And, and that's when you don't have a strong brand, like when you're just getting started. And so many of the people that we talk to like really are just getting started, but then you have established businesses, like maybe a manufacturing company that I talked to who like, they've been selling their widget for years, but they've never thought about branding or marketing or how to get folks in the door. Um, just because they didn't used to have competition or they used to sell through distributors or they sold through relationships and now they want to scale up. So we, we get a lot of that and, um, and they want to use what's hot. You know, they want to get online. They want to do digital marketing. They don't know exactly what channels, but they have a vague idea that they should be doing something on Facebook. They should be doing something on Google. And then somebody tried to sell them this email marketing tool, but they, they don't really know how to use it yet. So they've got some big notions, but they have to move forward. They don't have a brand. They don't have messaging. Um, and they don't exactly sometimes even know who they're going after, like what the target audience is. So, so th that, that's why it depends. So it depends is the answer, but I, I'm, I'm seeing some guidelines here. It's like we we're, we're bowling blind, but at least we got the bumpers up. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm hearing you talk about knowing who you're going after and the intersection of the value that you're offering and then people you're going after. Do you often come into situations where they're looking for this tactic, like you've described, and then you have to take a step back and walk them through this process? Like they've never really, either the new companies or the ones that are reinventing themselves, have never really thought about the value as it intersects with the customer. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I can think of a conversation I had recently with someone who's building um, a, a mobile app that will eventually be a, a social network for social change. Oh, cool. And um, it, it's awesome vision. You know, I'd love to be a part of it, but rather than, you know, getting started with digital marketing tactics on specific channels, we really need to step back and figure out like, what is the go-to-market strategy? Like, what are those, what are those initial campaigns that are going to get, that are going to bootstrap this community? And then also like designing virality into the product and designing, you know, some gamification so that people are excited and they feel like they're making an impact um as just from being part of this community so we so that's that's an example of um a project where we really do need to step back and think about like specific features in what we're trying to build and how we're going to like what niche we're going to launch it in because the vision is so big we can't mm -hmm. we can't start with something like for everybody who wants to make an impact on social issues so we really do need to niche down yeah niche down uh you know it's kind of funny it, everyone tends to resist that i mean niches are what is it about niches that are scary by the way it, the vote is in is it is it niche or is it niche oh good question nobody's ever given me the answer i say both kind of randomly oh uh, you're gonna you, both is the answer well we heard it here and <laughs> it said both is allowed so we will we'll just switch using both of them this whole show uh it, but to my original question it's hard to to niche down uh do you have any tips for people uh, i mean first of all how do you get the courage to do it and then second of all yeah. is there a smart way to do it yeah i mean it depends on what what you're trying to do um for for a product like the one that i described um you know launching a social network for social change the smart way to do it is to test a couple different campaigns and a couple, there were three different campaigns and three different niches <laughs> and, um, and see, see which raging conversations online, like you can become a part of wow. and cool. communities kind of pick up, um, on what you're doing. And then, cause you, you really with something like this is it's new. So you want to establish a beachhead somewhere. And you think about like MySpace, which started with fans of different bands and they started with, I don't know what they were, but they started with like a few bands that were really popular and a couple of them caught on as like the fan group. And then they really grew from there. And then same thing with Facebook, starting at a, a select group of colleges and people were originally uh, drawn to it because all of their friends at their school were on it. But then eventually the network effects really kick in. And everybody wants to be a part of it. So I talked to entrepreneurs who are thinking about the grand vision that they want to build and all the network effects and the bells and whistles that are going to be there several yeah. years out, but we're nowhere near that now. And you really need to get like, you know, customer number one. So yeah. let's think about where's customer number one going to come from, not customer, you know, 1 million.
I think sometimes we do that. I think it's a, it's a sort of an entrepreneurial thing where you're almost immediately thinking about scaling when maybe you should just give an, an extra second to think about not scaling, not the scaling part. I mean, you will scale one day, you know, Padawan, <laughs> but, but just think about this one customer. What can you do to wow them now that isn't scalable? Like, can you send them a personal note? Can yeah, you? And, and the question there is like, can you wow anybody? Yeah. Like, I want you to come to me and say, yeah. I got Here's our early customers. They love what we're doing. Let's figure out how to scale this up. I want you to come to me and say, I've got this product and I'm sure the world's going to love it. Dale, all you have to do is, is, you know, make the world love it. And it's like, yeah, well, no, cause I'm not really convinced that that's even possible. And then the right. other thing about digital channels is some people are attracted to digital channels because they feel like they don't, they're not going to have to talk to their market. They're not mm -hmm. going to have to interview customers, get people on the phone. Um, that sort of thing. And, and that is 100% false. Um, like you're, I've seen a lot of campaigns, um, just one that I'm thinking about writing a proposal for now, like they're going to be successful to the extent that they can have meaningful conversations with prospective customers. Um, like one a day, two a day, whatever, whatever that looks like, um, in order to figure out what their messaging is and what niche or niche is going to make sense. Right. <laughs> come, right. come, coming back to that argument. So that's another thing that I count, I counsel people on, which is, yeah, these are digital channels, but we're not going to figure it out until we can get somebody on the phone to tell us what they think of our offer. Tell us what they think of our landing page. Tell us why they signed up and downloaded or, or tell us why they bought. And then we can refine our messaging from there. But it's just not possible. In my opinion, it's not possible to get to the promised land with digital channels. If it really is hundred percent digital and you're not figuring out how you're going to talk to customers, how you're going to talk to real people. A uh, couple of things there, the, talking to talking to customers for sure is a, is a passion of mine, but just the idea, I, I just want to, this is a cool concept, the idea of wowing that one customer before the hundred. And I know we're all in like, we're all like entrepreneurs are like Tesla's where you don't have acceleration to 80. You just literally go because the wheels are magnetic. They just go 80, you know? So we don't have an accelerator. We just want to scale to like 30,000, the world all using our app, but I love how you're saying, wow, that one, can you wow that one customer? Yeah. And, can you wow any? Yeah. And then you get back to me. Yeah. I, I love that. But tell me about this talking to customers thing. Cause I feel it's a big passion. I feel like we tend to, we have all this great tech now. We like hide behind the tech and we haven't talked to our customers in days, weeks. Yeah. I mean, 100%, like, especially if you're launching a new product or, you know, bootstrapping a startup or, or you've got a, a pile of venture money um, for a new product line or something like that. Uh, it's, I, I think like when I think back to like when, and when I first had access to AdWords, one of the things that was really appealing was you can do testing of messaging um, in the headlines of your ads and you could put up multiple messages, see which ones resonate. We still do that today, but that was novel back in the day. It was like, um, it was like having access to an inexpensive on-demand real-time focus group for all of your messaging ideas. And, th and that's great. And we should still do that. But what you, even that data that you're collecting, like it's hard to understand why, like without talking to people, why did you click on that? Why did you buy? Why, why were you interested in learning more about our, our business? So I like the idea early on, depends on what, what the company is, but, um, I like the idea early on in like designing initial campaigns around different messaging that you're trying to test, but it's designed to get people on the phone as opposed to necessarily designed to get people to just like purchase and go away. Um, but a lot depends on whether it's a transactional type of purchase or maybe more of a considered purchase, yeah. that sort of thing. But, but however, whatever it is, whatever that sales process looks like early on, you need to be talking to people. And it, it might be somebody selling soap online and you sell a few and you're like, oh, wow, that's awesome. I mean, you need to call your, your first customers and understand why they bought. Uh, listen to what they say, listen to the words that they use. And a lot of times, like these early customers that you're talking to, they will tell you your messaging if you just use their words oh, I love and, that. Ask, and ask the right questions. Uh, that's why I just think it's so valuable. They will tell you the words to use. I mean, all these studies, and that's the biggest complaint I have with surveys, is first of all, they're biased because you put the answers down. And if you leave, you know, a, a blank option, that's hard to calculate. Um, that's kind of what you need to be doing. But to your point, 
It's that follow-up question. It's the why. Why Why is this that you can't really get from the survey unless you have these like goofy little surveys that are like, well, why'd you pick that? Why'd you pick that? Which is going to piss people off. But yeah, why did you select? Why is it the tires? Why is it this consulting group? Why Why did that matter? You, you said it was all about the industry report. Why? Like, what does it mean to you? We need to understand that part. That's where all the goodies are at. And you need that with some human communication. Yeah, absolutely. So that's those are like qualitative answers to open-ended questions. Yeah. And doing like a qualitative analysis of it. Um, the other type of survey you're talking is more quantitative, where we're trying to, you know, statistically measure um people's sentiment or something like that. And and that right. that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking more yeah. about like getting the stories um from real people so that you can tell a story of the data that you're seeing. Yeah. And and realizing that the data is incomplete. It's like directional, but it's not telling you why. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't tell you why. That's why I love podcasting, you know, is because you just, you can have conversations with people, with customers and you can ask them why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You just bring it up. And I have, and I have a question for you. Uh, earlier, you mentioned that sometimes there's the, the young upstarts, the brand new companies that haven't established things before. Other time, they're well-established companies, especially manufacturing, that have been doing it for a while, but maybe haven't gotten to this level or they haven't taken that step. Uh, the market changes, right? So maybe they're still here because whatever they were doing was successful back then. But things change, market changes. Do you have any tips, strategies around these these older companies adjusting and kind of coming into their own and do they adopt digital or don't they or how how do they mature their marketing yeah so once again it really depends um but you can imagine just just thinking of some of the the businesses that i've worked with that they they know that there's an opportunity for them in digital because they see competitors doing well and they hear anecdotally in their industry that these competitors are doing, you know, using Facebook or doing SEO yeah. or you know, email. Like they hear that and they believe it's true because a lot of times they're hearing it from a trusted source and it is true. And, right. they, and they want to turn on that channel and they may or may not be ready to do that. So a lot of times what I see is they'll try a channel, it doesn't work. And then they'll say, oh, well, that channel doesn't work. You know, we tried that. Yeah, we tried that three years ago. Now it didn't work. And they don't understand that um, there are many reasons why it might not have worked. Like it might be because your customers aren't there. Um, so it's fundamentally not the right channel or you, you have the wrong messaging. Your conversion strategy didn't make sense. Um, depending on what people are selling, if you're selling software, you might want people to get, hop on a demo and that's your sales process. But you might be asking people like too prematurely to like hop on a phone, or sorry, hop on a, like a sales call. Um, when before you have a chance to like nurture them and introduce them to the the value of your software right so there's a lot of reasons why that digital channel that you tried might not have worked so moving forward we want to continue to like constantly improve our messaging improve our targeting so we know who the right audience is and improve our product and service so that it's remarkable in our space and then try the channel again um, the way I like to look, I call them $500 experiments. So when I'm talking to my marketing team, I want to know what I, what channels can I try for $500, whether they worked or not last year, um, because we have better messaging now and we've, we've crafted a service that I think is better for our market and we have a better idea of who we're going after. So give me a $500 experiment on Facebook to go after this new audience with our new messaging and either it works or it doesn't, but I want to constantly be running those $500 experiments to figure out the because it's not the channel it's like i'm trying to find the right combination of messaging channel and conversion strategy yeah and, there it is and usually it doesn't work and it costs me 500 dollars, but sometimes it does and that's gold like absolutely gold see that that completes it for me because at the very beginning you said it's not the channel it's not the silver bullet it's not that, what's that one thing? And I was even tempted to ask you, oh, 500, give me some examples of some 500s. But the, the way you're describing this is, it's a 500 low dollar test. Let's test a bunch of things because it's not about, it's not about that experiment. It's about the strategy that we designed. It was the new messaging. Like, hey, we have new messaging. I don't want to hear about, you know, this didn't work last 
summer. We, we had a different message last summer, new message. Let's try some of these channels and see if we get any hits on them because it's not about the channel. It's about, like you said, the combination of the strategy, the messaging and, and then the channel. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, we, in sometimes we're more structured than others. I mean, there was a time that we did these experiments on a two week sprint. So we, we had a, a marketing test plan. Like we literally thought a oh. hundred, uh, not a hundred, sorry, $2,500 experiments. Um, and there are things like, um, trying Facebook ads to a certain audience or trying a, a, a Facebook, um, lookalike campaign. And then another one was to buy ads in a particular newsletter that we thought would reach our audience. And then another one was to buy a booth at a trade show <laughs> that was in Boston. And that's why it was cheap. Um, so that's a cheap, that's a cheap booth right there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, during COVID, like you could, that's true. <laughs> so, um, so we had, uh, uh, like 20 marketing experiments on, on this list. And I'm not remembering what they all are or what they all were. And then, um, we stepped through them one at a time and we, I like the idea of doing two week sprints where, you know, we set it up on a Monday. Um, and then obviously you need different preparation, depending on what you're doing. If you need a landing page or you need to like optimize an advertising campaign or yeah. create a piece of content, depending on what you're doing and then run it for two weeks. And then at the end of that two weeks, do we have any signs of life? Like there's not enough time where we're going to significantly move the needle on our business with a, like an impactful campaign or something like that. Yeah. But most of the time, it's enough time that you can see like, are there signs of life? Is this a, is this a winner? I'm sorry. Is this a loser? So we just move on to the next one, or is this something that we should, we should try more of, try to optimize. And then, um, cause I remember one of them we tried was like LinkedIn ads. It was complete failure, like zero signs of life. And then another one we tried was, um, was ads in Haro, Helper Reporter. Oh, cool. That was back when it was run by Peter Shankman. And, um, we, and that worked really well when we doubled down on that, but, but the majority of what we tried didn't work, but the one channel that did work, um, was just phenomenal. Wow. There, and that's how you, how you found it. That's how you zeroed in on it. It's, it's, it's kind of like more of a shotgun than, you know, it's kind of like when you're applying for a job, there are people that, you know, they send one resume out and they hope that that lands, but it's, ah, that might not be a fit for either of you. So let's. Let's test out a couple of these channels here. Let's see what works and go from there. Yeah. And draw the right conclusions from, from the tests. Draw the right. Uh, like I said, like it's a mistake to, to try some, like for example, we, we put together a, a guide. The, the, it's the um, authority first SEO guide with key studies and resources and how to do SEO the way we do SEO. And so we ran some Facebook ads against it and it was, it was a it was like successful and it failed kind of at the same time where like we got a huge response in terms of a lot of people wanted like converted and downloaded the ad and gave us their phone number but then we were only able to get like one interested person on the phone from this particular campaign so i would i would say it didn't work even though there are signs of life because there was so much interest we got so many downloads but um when something like that fails we have to make sure that we're not we're not um like attributing that failure to the channel. Yeah. We're saying like, it's this combination of what we did, like the guide that we created, the landing page that we created to entice people to download the guide. Then how were we going to convert them? Like we asked for email address and, um, and phone number. So it could have been a failure in that follow-up. It could have been the phone script. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So what, what we're trying to do when we're like doing our retrospective on that particular experiment is we're trying to like piece together what parts worked, what parts didn't work so that when we craft the next experiment, um, like for example, for that particular one that I'm thinking of, the messaging around getting people to download that guide, like it worked, like there's a lot mm. of people in it. I'm not so sure that the follow-up worked because we connected with only one person <laughs> in the couple of weeks that we were sure. there. And then we got zero clients out of it. Um, and then also we, there were Facebook ads, right? So it's like, did Facebook work? Well, kind of, it got some downloads. It might not have been the right audience. So I would say, well, maybe we need better Facebook targeting the next time we do something like this, but I'm not, I'm not prescribing like the winner, the loss to any one of those factors because it's the combination. And I'm trying to understand how do I fit those pieces together next time such that it's more likely I'm going to get a, a better result. Right. Wow crazy man uh clearly a a, a well-read person uh, and i segue to my next 
question. <laughs> what do you have any books that you like to recommend? So I read more business books. I'm going to try yeah. to look over my shoulder. Um, there's, I am going to look over the shoulder because I'm thinking of one book that I know is on my shelf here. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a marketing book. By all means, a business book, any, any book that you really. So I really liked this one called Thought Leaders Practice. If, I don't know if anybody's watching this on the video, but it's Thought Leaders Practice by Matt Church. And the reason why I like it is because like in the work that I've done around marketing and digital marketing and, and really more specifically like SEO, um, like there are themes that come up and advice that I give over and over again. And those become, you know, concepts that are part of my repertoire. And those end up in sales conversations, written material, like the guide that people are downloading. But more importantly, um, like conference talks that I do. And what this book is about is like capturing those concepts that are unique to a lot of people. They don't have to be like unique to the entire industry, yeah. but, you know, unique to a lot of people and then fleshing them out and figuring out how to monetize them. And, yeah. and, and it, it's an experimental approach. That's the, way, the reason why I like it because um, you'll, you'll, if you, regardless of what type of business you run, you're an expert in something. And if you capture those concepts, like it really opens the door to other ways of making money rather than just your, your business. Cause you could, you could do coaching, you could run like a, a mastermind group, or you could write a book or, um, do consulting like I do, or, you know, start a related business. So I really like this book because it, it, it focuses your expertise into like bite-sized chunks and then gives you a process for experimenting with different ways to monetize them that that in each of those when they work they turn into a new business man that's that's killer i'm i added that to the list uh yeah i get some great book recommendations on on this podcast obviously but that's a really good one that kind of strikes home with me too um sp especially if there's these things you keep saying over and over again and it kind of becomes your your phrases those there's some value to that you can build pillars out of that i like that yeah yeah so question, oftentimes, you know, entrepreneurs, business leaders, it can be lonely at the top. Do you have any resources, communities that you take part in that help you stay connected with other leaders? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, two, two that have been great to me. So like on the agency side, Bureau of Digital, because there are a number of other. I love those guys. Yeah, digital marketers. I mean, half of them run agencies like me and then the other half work in digital, maybe at an agency or maybe in-house. Yeah. And it's just such a supportive community run by Carl Smith, who's an amazing guy. Um, you know, he built it around his philosophy of, you know, leveling up and then bringing people on the, the rung below you up with you. And um, so, so that's been a super supportive community. And similar to that, um, Entrepreneurs Organization, um, EOKC, because I know that's how you and I met. But he always been amazing to me in a similar way because I was involved in the accelerator program and then. Oh, you accelerator. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was accelerator for a while. And then, <laughs> and then, um, joined EO when we were ready. But what really struck me about EO is it's a learning community. And, and you know, I'm the type of person where, um, I'm very much uh, attuned to like professional and personal growth. Um, and you know, I've, I've got enough issues professionally and personally that there's plenty of growing to do. And it's nice to do that striving with another group of people who are interested in growing and learning. And what I really liked about EO is like before I got involved with EO Accelerator, I was involved in a number of startup communities because I have like a, a technical startup background. And I really disliked those communities. I mean, they were, they were run by VCs who I felt like were taking advantage of, um, of founders. And when I started attending EO events, it was like, you know, for a community of business owners, by a community of business owners, and it was supportive way beyond your business. Like EO is supportive on the personal side and the business side. And I was really attracted to that because the startup, like the, this tech startup community that I was involved in was nothing like that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely yeah. not supportive. Um, but, but, but there were a bunch of, you know, investors that ran the, that community that wanted to grow big companies and be a part of it. And that's all they really cared about. Yeah. There seems to be this, this sort of learning curve, at least for around the EO thing that I've experienced where early on you, you're really hungry for all the business knowledge, but at some point you've learned sort of the basics. And so you still want to learn the advanced stuff, which, which is EO with that community, but also the shifting to the personal side. 
sometimes early on the shares and the challenges you might, you know, share with your, your forum, it's not like mastermind group is, is like business related, but eventually those are shifting to like what the other things that you care about, your family, your friends, the things that you're. Yeah, and it's all interconnected. So, so yeah. that's the thing that I always say like when I tell people about EO is like, you don't want to join an organization where they pretend like your business life and your personal life are, are two different things. That are don't two different things. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Like we all know it's not true. So you want to join an organization that kind of puts that front and center and, you know, is willing to, to help and guide and support you in, in the ways that you need it at any given time. And, yeah. and my needs have shifted all over the place as, um, as things, you know, get complicated <laughs> with work and family. hundred percent, man. But you know, there's, there's nothing quite, you know, on that note, there's nothing quite like you wanting to grow and you could talk all day about marketing tactics to do that. But if you're facing some challenge, some crisis at home, you don't feel like doing anything like that. It's hard to think about abundance when you're, when you're being pulled to the ground because you know, whether it's a health thing or family thing, relationships, like I, I love how you said that, look, they are interconnected, but if, if you're, if you're being supported or things are alive at home, you have that fire and that spark, right? You have these things going on, then there's, you're unstoppable at work. So I think it's, it's smart that EO talks to both sides of you or all parts of you. Yeah. And, and, and part of EO is, is really like core values based. So yeah. like, what is your why? Yeah. And, and for me, I mean, I mean, that's huge for anybody, but I think for me, I got into, you know, starting a business without really knowing why, you know, is it because I was running from what I was doing before or am I running towards something that is meaningful to me? And I think now I've gotten to the point that, it, that I am um, running towards something that's meaningful to me, but it took a long time to figure out what that is so that when yeah. I'm doing it, I know why I'm doing it and then I can prioritize the right things because there's a constant as everybody knows and i'm sure you feel it too Steve, casey like constant tension between business achievement and and family achievement let's call it that way oh yeah like, people and um you know i found myself in a situation where i felt guilty for not doing family stuff for not being there and then like the shift that really worked for me was seeing those two things as like something that i want that i'm that i'm willing to, to put effort into and learn how to do better. And sometimes they're in conflict, like two things that I want are intention versus um, like feeling guilty about not doing, not, be, you know, pulling my weight at work or feel guilty about not pulling my weight at home, but instead trying to figure out how to live with that tension and, and optimize it, you know, balance it as best I can. Love that. Living with that tension and optimizing and figuring out it's clearly like the, work but life balance it's not so much the you can make you can make them both successful you can make it's like what what is that balance what is that that where the scale is it doesn't even have to be even but where you're you're meeting the things that you need to meet and you feel you feel good about it like you're doing what you want to do and it's good a lot of times goal oriented people like me that have that problem it's like i like why do i feel like i should have goals for my family life right yeah That's messed up if you think about it. Not everybody thinks that way. Um, I'm, I'm stuck with the brain I have. Hey, I like the goals too, for sure. <laughs> You're right. Not everyone does that. But, but man, tell me about you. I mean, we've bumped into each other at EO. We've had this awesome podcast. But take me back in time, Little Dale days. What was it like growing up you? Where did you grow up? Did you know you're going to be a thought leader? Did you know you're going to be a marketer, business leader, all those things? Well, I think like going back to Little Dale, like I was definitely the sort of kid where I wanted a business, but I didn't know why. And what I did was I set up a desk in my room with a computer on it. And back then I had like a TRS-80 Model 3, so I am old enough <laughs> to like, I am pre-internet. That does date um, you. The computers date you, right? Yes. <laughs> and I had, um, what I did on the desk was I put an inbox and an outbox. This is like when I was in middle school. And I would like have put papers in the inbox and then kind of move them over to the outbox. And I felt like I had a business. Like I was really excited about that. So my, my father worked in a really big building in Hartford, Connecticut, you know, 20 story building in Hartford, Connecticut. And he was a lawyer. He had an office and he had an inbox and an outbox. That's what he did. He would <laughs> take, process legal issues in his inbox and then comment on them and move them to his outbox. Or at least that's what I'm sure my father would say something different, but that's what I observed. So what I thought a business was, was like, I would own that building and I would fill it with people and they would move papers around and I would be in control. And that's what I was excited about. 
Um, but then after that, I wrote some software and I had the experience of like selling shareware on CompuServe and Phytonet back in the day. I ran Really? What'd you write? It was, um, it was called Bloodthirsty. So it was a clone of, of Risk. So like the Risk game where you have yeah. countries. So I, yeah. I, it was a DOS game. Okay. So this was back in like 1990, 1990. Yeah. Around there, it, early nineties. And, um, the experience that I had was like, cause I wrote it because I just thought it was the coolest thing to make a game and the, put it up on Fido.net and CompuServe. But what happened was people sent me $7 checks in the mail. Yeah. And when I received that first check, like I was over the moon, I was hooked. It was like taking crack for the first time of my life where like I got a check in the mail. It felt like I hadn't done any work that day. It was $7, right? Like yeah. that was like, I literally, I would made $5 an hour working at Caldor when I was in high school. So, yeah, so right. like, the, yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It was like, there. thinking about it now, like there, I was taking advantage of like some, a form of leverage, which is like, I was producing software. Like I, I wrote it and that was fun. And then I put it out in the world and I just kind of sat back and collected checks, but I was hooked. Yeah. Like hooked on, on business, so to speak. And I always knew that or what I thought I was I was going to create some you know some kind of software company like I thought I was the next um Bill Gates and then I joined a few startups like I was lucky because I was involved in a startup while I was still in college um the story I tell is they got bought out and I you know made all this money but um really what happened was they they got bought like I worked for them over the summer then they got bought out then I went to work for them full-time and really what happened was that the founder was just really generous like he gave me a bunch of stock and it went from three bucks to 30 and oh, like geez. I gave like, right out of college so six months after college like I had my fuck you money and I've been riding that ever since because uh, I did I did a, a few more startups after that because I just really Loved being part of like um, an entrepreneurial, you know, tech startup. Yeah. And as like, I was a software developer and I was also like hardware designer. And, um, but the next two ended in tears, like literally tears. Um, Cause we put our heart and soul into it for, for three years. And then the next one was two, was, was uh, four years. And those companies went under. Um, and then after that, I said, okay, now it's time for me to, to launch my software business, which is what my entire life I thought I would do. And those ideas, um, I spent several years on a couple ideas and those like failed miserably. And I didn't have the stomach to start a SaaS business because of the slow ramp of death. Like anybody yeah. started a SaaS business. And what I really wanted was kind of the like immediate gratification of selling a contract, working with clients and, you know, like a relationship based business. So that's why I love consulting because I get to choose the awesome people that I work with, choose the clients that I work with. Um, I get immediate gratification when I'm on the phone with clients and, you know, deliver an idea. They think I'm smart, but what I'm really doing is like, I've worked, I've seen a lot of clients that I've worked yeah. with. Right. So it's really cross pollination, not genius <laughs> that's coming out of my brain. So, um, so, but, but I love the relationship aspect of it because I worked as a software developer for so long, like yeah. 20 years, if you include high school. Um, and then I quit that in like 2008, started, um, several things that didn't work out. And then now I have the agency and we're, um, you know, we focus on like e-commerce, we focus on SEO, we have manufacturing clients, software clients, but those are kind of the areas that we're in. What was it like to it had to have been a challenge because I've experienced this too, where if things go well, it's almost like you don't, you, it's hard to learn from when things are going well, right? You're just like, okay. this is working. I'm not sure why. So right out of college, you've got legit fuck you money. Like that's, that's impressive. And then you have all these other projects and the next two you're saying, and in tears, was that kind of a mind game that you had to get through? Uh, I mean, did you start yeah, doubting yourself so. or what, what, what yeah, kind of things came from that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there was a period of time where I was convinced that any, any business I start would fail because right. that's been my experience. And, um, there was it, really what it comes down to, like looking back on it was like, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And I had, I had a decades worth of stuff to learn, to be able to like be involved in a, <laughs> like, in a management capacity at a successful business. And I didn't know that. Because I, I literally I'd seen people that I graduated with do it right out of college. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy, man. 
Well, hypothetical question for you. I may or may not have a time machine up here in New Hampshire. So let's say one of the weekends, come on up, we get some beer, time machines in the backyard covered in a tarp. We go use this thing. And it's a particular kind of time machine. It takes you back in time to meet yourself and you get to talk to yourself. It's not going to mess up the space-time continuum. You'll be okay. Uh, we'll be okay too. Uh, but you get to go meet yourself. And it's a couple days after your undergrad. You've graduated school and you're starting to get out there. And you know, I guess you've been in the startup now. We know you've been in a startup for a while. You get to meet yourself back then. What kind of advice would you give yourself? I mean, that's really tough because I because what I would want for little Dale, <laughs> I was right? 21 year old Dale, um, graduating from undergrad is I would, I would want to convince him to like, go for it sooner and, and face his fears sooner. Um, you know, Dale graduating from college, like I was afraid of relationships. I was afraid of public speaking. I was afraid of, um, like I was hiding behind a computer basically because I was a software developer. And I wish that I had tackled that sooner rather than what ended up happening was it took me 10 years to get bored of it. And then I, and then I said, oh my God, I need some, I need to go in a different direction with my life. And that's when I was motivated to face those fears. And then I also wish that I had the confidence that I have now. And that, that just comes with time. But, but, but I, 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 like I had the perception and I still have the perception that I graduated with people who just did it right out of school. And I'm sure they had the same um, issues that I had fears and, and, you know, they're, they had wavering confidence, but they just faced it sooner in their career than I did. Yeah. You never, you never know, right? Just like you don't know where the competitors are doing well or not with their PPC ads per se, unless maybe hopefully they, they don't keep spending if they don't work, but you never quite know. You never quite know everyone else's story too. You know, you, you don't know if someone caught a comet or failed or whatnot you kind of only own, know your own story it can be dangerous to compare yourself to others but yeah yeah wow i think to some extent i'm still stuck in that mode um but you know we've been just successful enough that and i've gotten like a i've, I've learned so much like I, yeah. I see with clarity many of the mistakes that i made and then and, and then because of that i see with clarity many of the mistakes i'm going to make <laughs> yeah. in, in the future right um so I, and I don't think there's a way to short circuit that. I don't think there's anything I can tell my, my future or sorry, my former prior self other than, you know, go for it because, um, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Like the, the there's the suffering is, is for a reason. Yeah. Um, to start, start experiencing it sooner. It sounds like, yes, yeah, experience just, life. Yeah. Like, like I would want to convince little Dale to have a mindset where like life is there to be experienced, the good and the bad. And all of it is a curriculum and you're going to come out the other end, just like so much more capable and powerful because of the experience. So just see all of that as your, your curriculum and experience life. Yeah. The curriculum of life. I love it. <laughs> well, Hey man, uh, it's almost winter time. I'm going to catch you up there skiing at some point. Oh, absolutely. So. Yeah, I mean, that's how I get through the winter. Otherwise, is it? Yeah, same. Yeah, because summer around here is so nice. There's so much to do outside. And then, you know, what are you just going to stay inside for six months out of the year? Right. Some people do. But, you know, last year I decided I wanted to make winter my season. So I started creating a whole bunch of programs and things and getting into, back into skiing just to give uh -huh. me something to do, you know? Well, yeah, let me know what you're doing because, um, yeah. like, I, I love snow. And I don't know if I'm the only person. So any snow related activity where I'm so okay. my white stuff um, okay. is just, just like my happy place. It's very peaceful for me. That's awesome, man. I'm definitely, I'm doing a lot of stuff over, over at Crotchet because I'm trying to be a ski patroller. So I'm in the oh. phases of studying. I feel like I'm back in college. I think I'm, I got in the time machine myself, but I'm, I'm studying this big thick book on medical stuff to try to be a ski patroller and, you know, be on the mountain all the time. And so that's exciting. But, like ice climbing. Too, if you're... Bum, <laughs> oh, that, well, yeah, I guess so. I guess we get that cool red jacket. Yeah, there's another know? word for that, but I was thinking. Cool red jacket, you know, you get to like rescue people and, you know, save lives. Uh, but what about ice climbing? Ice climbing, maybe a little uh, mountain hiking, a little winter hiking too? Yeah, yeah, I would love it. I would love okay. it. Um, well, Jeff, I'll shoot you a text when we, uh, when we do that. Yeah, it's all about wearing the right clothes. 
<laughs> layers, right? It's all about layers. Yeah, and I'm I'm a gear guy, so it's like, are you? Yeah, I got this trip coming up, so I get to you know a trip to REI a couple times to have some conversations with them about what's the perfect gear. Um, That's funny. That would be fun for me. Do you obsess over it too, and and you kind of comparing pricing and stats and want to make sure you get the right purchase? You know, I obsess over having the right like wardrobe and gear but I don't obsess over the purchase and getting like the perfect, um, you know, getting the best price, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much the price, but like com- the best product, the, the best piece of that arsenal. Right. So, okay. I need a mid-level, you know, this, hmm, which one should I get, you know, or like a shell layer, which shell, so like, you know, kind of, kind of fun for me is to go to multiple stores and have conversations with people. Oh, interesting. And, like what I, what I, won't spend so much time doing this like internet research because I can't, I mean, I'm ADD. I can't like even sit still doing mm-hmm. that research, but it's fun for me to drive around and have a lot of conversations and get recommendations and then figure it out that way. Cause it's like an active <laughs> research endeavor. Totally. I actually got a, a mountain coach too, just to help me with that because I was like, ah, uh, what, you know, and, and so like with topic came up of like crampons, you know, it's like, yeah. which ones to get? And he's like, oh, these. And then there's two styles. I'm like, I'm like, coach, which style? He's like, get this kind. Uh, this this kind's the kind you'll use, you know, on a big mountain. Oh, okay. All right. Well, because a lot of fun when you have the right gear. And then it's just oh, yeah. dangerous if you don't. So, yeah. And that's what it's miserable. Any favorite gear? Like any gear that just makes you happy thinking about how important it is? Not, I mean, just, just, I mean, we did some camping. My son was in the Boy Scouts. We did. Oh, cool. Camping. We bought one of those. They have these really expensive, super lightweight, like tripod, tripod chairs that are really little. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I didn't buy it because it was expensive. And then I was like, crap, like if I had this, I would carry it up the mountain. And then I could actually sit not on the ground or a log. On a rock. So I, yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know, they're like 50 bucks. Whatever they are, they're double what they should be. <laughs> and I finally bought one. And it was wonderful because I wasn't sitting on the ground until... About five minutes into it, my son realized that um, it was comfortable. He sat in it, right? Oh, so no. I had to buy two. You right? had to buy two. Yeah, you got to bring that over the purchase of one. You got to get him to carry his own. Like, hey, if you want to sit in this thing, you got to carry it too, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah, I think for me, um, I recently got I got a shell. I got like a Triolet Patagonia shell. And man, it's just one of the windiest times on a mountain. And... Without the jacket, I'm like, this is not fun. Put the jacket on, like, huh, okay, I got it. Good. And just yeah, adding that little wind protection, but like some serious wind protection made all the difference for me. And what mountains are you climbing here? And it sounds like serious uh, mountaineering. Oh, well, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to put together some Kilimanjaro for next year. So okay. if you're interested, yep, that talk offline. Mountaineering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but ice climbing in New Hampshire, there's some good spots. There's some good ponds where you, where you can just you know, throw on some stuff. I got rope and harnesses and oh, all wow. that kind of stuff. So we could set up a little top rope. And I guess all you need is uh cramp. Do you have crampons? No, no. I mean, I did all that stuff in the Boy Scouts and then more yeah. recently um, did some, it was like a ropes course type of climbing. Yeah. In um, so I've only ever done I'm ice climbing once as a part of the Boy Scouts and then other types of climbing as a part of Boy Scouts. Sweet. We'll hook it up. Yeah. I'm going to let people think I was an Eagle Scout too, without actually saying. Without. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're in the Scouts, man. That's you learned yeah, so many things. I showed up for the for the um, for the camp out, and then I sold some popcorn, and you know, like yeah, I was yeah. A Boy Scout. You know, selling candy bars door to door with the Scouts was actually good business practice, you know? And one of the things that really just sold it was just showing up in uniform and they're like, Oh, look how cute you are. You're like, here, here's a candy bar. It's a whatever. Here's popcorn, right? To your point. And and they're like, I don't really need popcorn, but you look so good in your cute little uniform, little scout. Yeah. All right. What, how much, you know, you know, my son's not involved in it anymore, but we're not, we're not a family that like practices a formal religion, right? Even though I grew up as part of church community, my wife didn't, but we still don't practice. So it's kind of like, like Boy Scouts was the religion, you know, because mm. that's what we had. Um, you know, Scouts, trustworthy, loyal, brave, you know. Helps. So, reading Yeah. When you think about it, it's kind of like my kids need something to believe in. You know, the family doesn't go to church, so they latch on to something. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta get back at it. Can you get back at it? 
uh, I can as a leader. My oh, yeah. Not interested. So not when interested. he quit, when he quit, they were like, oh, Dale, you know, you should still show up for the leadership programs and all that. You're like, um, yeah. <laughs> that it would be fun for me. You know, like I got to do Cub Scouts again with my son. Like, yeah. I was, when I was little, I loved that stuff. But then Pinewood I, Derby I, and all that. Yeah. And I quit when I was in high school. But then, like, I knew I was going to get to do it again with my son. And we did, we did it for six or seven years. And that was my last hurrah. Well, we'll have to pick it back up just uh, civilian style, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, get, some, get some climbing in there. Um, it was, uh, I think it was last year where I took an intro to climbing course. It was like a private one. But we told the instructor, hey, we want to pick up the knowledge to be able to do our own top rope climbs. So like we learned about anchors and all these things so that, and there's nothing in the world like going to REI and buying your own rope, you know, now you feel like a badass because you get your own rope and, and the gear, you know, how when you walk around the harness and it's all clinking, you're like clink, clink, clink. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Some serious adventure about to be had right now. Yeah. They should make you take a course <laughs> before you could buy the rope. They should. <laughs> they should. Otherwise, <laughs> what are you doing with that rope? Say, don't worry. I'm going to tie it to my friend, push him off a mountain. Like, yeah, work. exactly. We're going to try swinging from this, see what happens. <laughs> um, well, hey, man, where can people connect with you? They want to they want to connect with you personally, professionally, learn about the speaking, learn about the marketing, the SEO, throw some sites and socials and all that. Yeah. So, I mean, our website is fireandspark.com, all spelled out. Okay. I am Dale, D A L E, at fireandspark.com, all spelled out. So, um, you know, definitely be in touch. I'm always happy to talk about anything related to marketing or EO or beer skiing or rock climbing or any of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah or any, any of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. And then of course on LinkedIn, I tend to connect to people on LinkedIn. I am Dale Bertrand, my name on LinkedIn. Boom. There it is. I think we're connected. I'll have to make sure we are. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we are. Cool. Well, dude, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on here. It's been fun. We chatted marketing. We chatted strategy. We chatted Man, outdoor adventure, skiing, you name it. We talked all about it. And we got yeah, to learn about your life. The outdoor adventures. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. I, I kind of wonder if you still have a version of uh of your software, if we can get bloodthirsty, you know, for the for the Mac now or the PC. <laughs> I'm sure you can because there's a, like a dog. I, I did that a few years back. So you get a DOS emulator. Emulator. And yeah, you can party old school, you know, like it's it, man. Like it's year nineteen ninety-two playing video games with your friends on the PC. So yeah, <laughs> now all the kids are playing games that are all pixelated. Yeah, yeah, that's which is mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah, my son wouldn't touch a DOS game, even if it was properly pixelated. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, totally, totally, man. Well, hey, this has been awesome. And for those people listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did because I literally have two pages of notes front and back over here, then share this episode with someone else. That's how you're a thought leader a thought leader of thought leaders and get this information out of people's hands, especially if you know another entrepreneur or CEO, um, a business owner in the, in the greater Boston community, definitely spread the word. This is, um, this is, it's been great, man. Thank you again, Dale. All right. All right. Cool. Thanks for having me. It was fun yeah, dude. Absolutely. This has been another exciting episode of leadership in action. We will see you all next time. Leadership in action is sponsored by the Boston chapter of the entrepreneurs organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer -peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.